This morning we are delighted to administer the sacrament of baptism upon Nehemiah Barnes. We rejoice with you all in this. As we approach baptism, it is essential that we do so with faith and understanding. The Bible says in Romans 14, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So if we come to baptism and we do not have a trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you being here right here right now are sinning. But when we come in faith, then the baptism will be a blessing to us all. The Bible also teaches in 1 Corinthians 14 that all parts of worship are to be done with understanding. If we don't understand, Paul says, there's no edification. But when there is understanding, there is edification. So whether it's prayer or the reading of the word or preaching or the singing of Psalms or the Lord's Supper or baptism. If we come and we don't understand, there's no blessing. There's no edification. But when we do understand, that is when we are edified. Therefore, it is my duty as a preacher of God's word to preach on the subject of baptism before baptizing. And I want to preach on the basic central message of baptism. And this basic message can be summarized under the title of the sermon, a font of promise and pardon. A font of promise and pardon. This message is taught in Acts chapter 2. It is a day of Pentecost. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is dead for our sins, has risen again. He is ascended up to heaven and he is exalted receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. He then pours out the Holy Spirit and fills his church. The Apostle Peter preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Jewish hearers are pricked or stabbed or plunged in conviction of sin. And they cry out, what must we do to be saved? And the Apostle Peter, in verses 38 to 39, gives the answer, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness or the remission of sins. I want to look at baptism in these verses under three basic headings. One, the meaning of baptism. Two, the promise of baptism. And three, the efficacy of baptism. First of all then, 
the meaning of baptism. You will see the word in verse 38. Be baptized. The Greek word baptize means to wash with water. And if you read your Bible, you will see generic things being washed with water and the word baptism is used. So in Mark chapter 7, cups, pots and tables are baptized, simply meaning washed with water. But here, baptism is a symbol, a sign of salvation. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Water represents cleansing and life. Children, when you're out playing in the mud and you're getting all dirty and there's, there's mud over you, what do you do? You have to come in and you have to wash with water to be clean. You have to go for a bath or a shower. Or if your clothes are dirty and stained, what does your, your mother do? She puts the clothes in the washing machine so that they're washed clean with water. But water also represents life. If someone's in the desert and there is no water, they shall surely die. If there's a drought in a region, there's no water and there is death. I do not believe there is life in other planets, but people are seeking to find life on other planets. And what are one of the essentials for life? What are we looking for in other planets? Water. Because if there's no water, there is no life. And so water represents cleansing and life. And so the, the Lord God has used water as a symbol or sign for salvation because mankind needs cleansing and mankind needs life and this great need is seen here be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins sin is an attitude and disposition against God sin is to break God's will summarised in the Ten Commandments. Sin is a heart that is either ignorant of God's will or knows God's will and yet goes against the will of God. And the Bible's revelation is that sin has made us all defiled and unclean and we are dead in our sins. In Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6, the prophet uses very vivid and provocative words. 
We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So righteousnesses, it sounds an awkward word because it's in the plural, it simply means everything we do. Everything we think is good and righteous, it is nothing but it's unclean and a filthy rag. A filthy rag is a cloth that a woman uses during her monthly cycle. And it's bloodied and unclean. What do we do with the woman's rag? Put it on the wall? Proud of it? Or because it's unclean, you throw it in the trash? It's unsanitary. And because of our sins, before Almighty God, everything we think, say and do is unsanitary, unhygienic, unclean, defiled. And this is not just some people or all people, or maybe you're thinking of other people out there. This is you. This is me. This is all of mankind. Because when Adam was created, he represented not just himself, but all of mankind. And God said, if you obey me, you and your posterity would receive eternal life. But if you sin against me, you and your posterity shall surely die. And Adam sinned. And he plunged all of mankind into sin. So that when we are conceived, our very human nature is defiled by sin. Psalm 51 verse 5. Behold, I was shapen, formed, fashioned in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. When a mother finds out she is pregnant, she and the husband soon goes to the hospital for an ultrasound. And the ultrasound helps us to see on a screen the physical form of a child in the womb. And it is an absolutely wonderful thing. Especially for men, because we don't really feel anything. There's no physical change Our wife's pregnant is a wee bit abstract and then we go to the hospital and we see on that screen and for men, now it's real. And it's a beautiful, precious experience. But all you can see in an ultrasound is the physical form. What if we could invent a moral ultrasound? What would we see? We wouldn't see a pure, innocent, good, righteous child. We would see a filthy, impure, sin-filled child. Let me ask you parents, have you ever taught your child to steal? 
Have you ever sat down and say, child, let me teach you how to disobey. Child, I'm taking you for a day out. I'm going to teach you all the lessons of how to sin in this world. Have you ever done that? Of course you haven't. But yet, why is it children all do these things? It's because they are born in trespasses and sins. It's because Adam's sin is in their conception. And in their fallen human nature, they cannot but sin. The Lord Jesus Christ himself says in Mark 7, 21, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things are evil and come from within and defile the man. When I baptised my own son last year, I said the same thing. My child from the heart is desperately wicked. Nehemiah from the heart is desperately wicked. You from your conception, from the heart, are desperately wicked. But we try to hide it, do we not? We try to hide our sin. Culture, music, art, politics. Put in a suit and tie, please and thank you. Yes, ma'am, yes, sir. But within the heart are all the skeletons of the closet. And with the thoughts and with the mouth and with the hands and the computer screens and on your phone and the places you go, God knows them all and says, every imagination of the thoughts of the heart are only evil continually. But then some try to dress it up in morality. Who's Peter preaching here to? The Jews. And if you asked a Jew in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ time, you ask a Jew today, are you righteous before God? And they would say, yes, because I keep the law. No, they don't. No, they don't. The Old Testament says this in Deuteronomy. Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So if you do not perfectly at all times, in all ways, keep the law in your thoughts, in your mouth and in your action, you're cursed before Jehovah God. And so Jesus Christ looked to the Pharisees who looked to dress up their uncleanness with law keeping. And he says in Matthew 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, ye are like unto white washed 
sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're someone who thinks, I'm not unclean, I'm not defiled. What you're saying is hyperbole, not me because I live a good moral life and I try to do it by general good works or even I try to uphold God's law. Well, God comes to you and says, do you do all things perfectly in thought, word and deed? If not, You are defiled in my sight. Dear friends, dear brothers, dear sisters. Do you recognise because of sin that you are unclean and dead? Consider your ways. Consider your imaginations. Consider your desires. Consider your words. Consider your actions. Because when we have an understanding of our sin, then we'll feel the need for washing and we'll realise our desperate need for life. And here is the good news. There is cleansing and there is life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. And God looked upon mankind and all of its uncleanness and filthiness and abomination. And God says, I am going to show my love and grace to the unclean. And this is the gospel. The gospel is I'm not coming to people who are generally good and just to paint over the cracks. Plaster over the holes. He comes to the defiled and the filthy and disgusting and he says, I am going to love you with all my heart. And that love is Jesus Christ, who unlike me and unlike you is not unclean, not defiled, but Hebrews 7, holy, harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. And he came so that the filthy, disgusting, abominable sins of mankind may be placed upon his head on the cross. And God's wrath against such uncleanness would be poured out in his holy wrath. And the Lord Jesus Christ completely, wholly, entirely 
satisfies God's justice against sin. And therefore, all who are unclean and who come to faith in Christ are clean. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7. In Jesus Christ, his son cleanses from all sin. What sin? Some sin? Most sins? Proclaim it to the rooftops. Tell everyone the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sins. No matter the height or the depth or the width, no matter how disgusting or ashamed or embarrassed you are, no matter if no one has ever known about it and you would not dare tell a soul if that unclean sin is still on you, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sins. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 He gives particular sins that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That is, if you do these things and do not repent, you shall go to hell. But then he says, Christ cleanses from these sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. Fornication. Idolatry, adultery, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. What disgusting sinners. Now hear these words. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, forgiven, pardoned, cleansed. Jesus Christ, you're so holy, you're so clean, you're so pure, you're so holy. Why would you wash me from these sins? Because I love you. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. Unto him that loved us and washed us, from our sins in his own blood. That's beautiful. So you look at your sin and you're ashamed and Jesus says, I love you and I take that sin and I wash it clean in my blood. Which means there is full, complete, eternal forgiveness of sins in Christ. And this is what baptism represents. It is a font of pardon. The water represents the blood of Christ which cleanses and gives life. The font represents Zechariah 13.1. In that day there shall be a fountain opened for sin and uncleanness. And the fountain is not just, say, 20 gallons, a thousand gallons, a million gallons, and once it's taken and exhausted, no more. 
Christ is the fountain of living waters and he is unlimited, infinite, inexhaustible in his atoning blood to forgive every single sin. But now secondly, we come to the promise of baptism. Now, who is the subject of the promise of salvation in baptism? Verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. The promise here is full forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ and the life-giving gift of the Holy Spirit. You, Jewish adults who would repent and believe, to your children, so the young children, and to all that are afar off, are people outside of the covenant, to the Gentiles, it's to them if they would repent and believe. Now, why would Peter use this language? Promise you children afar off. He's using the language of his religion. He's using the language of the Old Testament. He's using the language of the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace is God's promise to save. And in Genesis 17, you will remember, we read... And did you notice there were three distinct groups in Genesis 17? There was the adult believer represented by Abraham. There were the children under the name of Seed. And then there was the stranger. That is a Gentile outside of the covenant community. And in Genesis 17 verse 7 it says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee. Abraham, adult believer, and thy seed after thee in their generations, that is, the children of believers. And then verse 12, the stranger, which is not thy seed. And so in Abrahamic covenant, the promise of salvation symbolized through the sign of circumcision is for you, Abraham, be circumcised. For your child, eight days old, get them circumcised. And to the Gentile outside, when they come into the covenant, then circumcise them and give them the promise of salvation. Now, the New Testament did not cut off the promise of Abraham, but it brings the Gentile into the covenant with Abraham. Ephesians 2.12, Paul speaking to a Gentile church. Ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenants of promise. But now in Christ, ye who were sometimes afar off, same language, are made nigh By the blood of Christ. See that? Or Galatians 3.14. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So that the blessing of Abraham. Might come on the Gentiles. 
through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. See what Paul's saying in both positions, Ephesians 2, Galatians 3. That Gentiles by faith in Christ are brought into the natural tree. So that all the covenant promises of the Old Testament continue in the New Testament church. Which means the promise of salvation symbolized in baptism is for one, the adult believer in the church. Two, the children of professing believers. And three, anyone outside of the covenant community who'd repent of their sins and believe in Christ and come in, they, and therefore their children, receive the promise of salvation symbolised in baptism. And so adults in the church, this promise is unto you. If you're someone who's an adult, and you come to church, and you're still in your sins, you're unclean. But the promise of salvation represented in the baptism which you received is for you. And God speaks to such adults in Isaiah chapter 1, and he says, sinful people, a people laden with iniquity, evildoers, corruptors, you have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. Come now. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. So adults who have been baptised but you're not converted. Almighty God says the promise of Jesus Christ is for you. Just as baptism represents the washing away of sin and giving life. If you believe in Christ, you'll be whiter than snow. Secondly, children this promise is for you. The promise of salvation in Christ and the sign of baptism is for you. Children, you do not become a covenant child when you're baptised. You're a covenant child by conception and birth and therefore recognised with the public sign of baptism. We're not having a christening this morning. Nehemiah's not a heathen pagan child and then once baptised, now is in the covenant. Nehemiah is born to believing parents as a covenant child and therefore receives the covenant sign. Which means, children, you belong to God. It doesn't matter if you're two years old or you're 80 years old. If you've been baptised, you belong to God. Remember Genesis 17? 
I will be a God unto you and to your seed forever. Because when you're baptized, we do not just wash you with water, do we? If someone's washed with water, you're just washed with water. You're not baptized. To be baptized, there needs to be the word. I baptize thee, Matthew 28, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You belong to the triune God. Just like when you were born in the United States, you didn't agree, you didn't do a test, you didn't affirm, you became a citizen of the United States of America. So when you're providentially, sovereignly born into a covenant home, you belong to the triune God. And God gives you this covenant sign because he says, I love you. Herman Vitsius was a, a Dutch preacher of the 1600s. Here certainly appears the extraordinary love of our God. And that as soon as we are born and just as we come from our mother, he hath commanded us to be solemnly brought from her bosom into his own arms that he should bestow upon us in the very cradle the tokens of our dignity. That he should put that song in our mouth. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God. Psalm 22, 9. That in a word, he should join us to himself in the most solemn covenant from the most tender years. <clears throat> That's your wonderful privilege. You belong to the trying God. And God's saying to you, all your sins are unclean, but I will wash you completely in the blood of my son. Believe in Jesus Christ. Are you baptised? But not believing? God is speaking to you and saying, come to my son and be washed in the blood of the lamb. You have not only the privilege of being a covenant child, you have the duties therein. Your duty is to believe in the covenant God. Your duty is to recognise his word as his very voice and believe and obey. And your call is to live your life for the glory of your covenant God. But the third group here, those who are afar off. Is there someone here who is outside of the church and outside of the covenant? This is no special club here. This is no God saves Christians in the church and then everyone else damned to hell. Maybe you think that. But this promise is unto you, the adult believers in the church, to you, the children in the church, and to you who are afar off. 
in verses 17 and 21 of chapter 2, Peter says that the prophecy of Joel chapter 2 is being fulfilled in the New Testament era. And in verse 21 it says, It shall come to pass, sorry, verse 17 says, It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, Jew and Gentile, in the church and out of the church, in the covenant and out the covenant. And then verse 21, it shall come to pass that only those in the church will be saved. It didn't read that, did it? It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because this gospel is to be preached to every creature in the world, Mark 16. So if you're a creature in the world, this promise is for you. That if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, you shall be saved. You shall be cleansed. You shall be washed. You shall have life. You shall be pardoned. Believe in Christ, friend, and be saved. But now thirdly, the efficacy of baptism. We've got the sign, washing of water, promise, forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And then you have the subject In our case this morning, Nehemiah. Where's the efficacy? How will Nehemiah be saved? How will Nehemiah be cleansed? The end of verse 39 tells us the answer. As many as the Lord our God shall call. This is what we Christians call effectual calling. Effectual calling. That is when the Lord God sovereignly sends his Holy Spirit to regenerate and infallibly save a sinner. This is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13. God have from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel. So first of all, chosen you to salvation. So only God's chosen elect from all eternity will be effectually called and saved. It will be done so through the sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit makes the promise of the gospel effectual so that the subject is regenerated, born again, and saved for all time. But this comes through means, the belief of the truth, not the water, not the water, 
The water is a sign and seal. The water represents. The water is a symbol. If I'm hungry and I go to a sign and I stare at the sign of a restaurant, am I going to be filled? It's absurd. Of course not. What's the sign saying? Go to the restaurant. So I follow the sign and I go to the restaurant. I order my food and I'm filled. And so baptism is a sign saying, if you think you're going to have all your sins cleansed because you've got some sprinkling or immersion or water or whatever, absolutely not. The water says, go to Christ. Go to Christ. And therefore, believing in the truth, you receive the promised salvation as offered in baptism. So what is the efficacy of baptism? The effectual calling of God. Now this means three things. Number one, God is sovereign. In Romans 9, God said through Abraham, though every child received the sign of the covenant, circumcision, they're not all saved. There's the children of the flesh, those who simply received the sign. And then there's the child of the promise, those who received the sign and received salvation by faith in Christ. God circumcised Jacob and Esau. God circumcised Ishmael and Isaac. God baptised Simon Magus and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. And so the being baptised does not automatically forgive, clean, wash anyone. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Second of all, God uses means. As Second Thessalonians says, God calls through belief in the truth. As the gospel was preached to you. So how is Nehemiah and every child going to receive the promise of salvation? Belief in the truth through the gospel. This means it's the parent's responsibility. To bring up the child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. To teach them the Bible and the gospel. To have family worship every day so they would know their covenant God and know the way of salvation. To bring them to church faithfully, to hear the truth and to hear the word. To be good examples. If a parent teaches but is not a consistent example, in my experience, it often destroys covenant children. And the parents must pray. God, you're sovereign. Effectually call my child. Effectively call Nehemiah. Effectively call my son. Effectively call my daughter. Daily, fervently. And so if this child is baptised and never taught the word of God, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But thirdly, 
God's faithfulness. God saves through the covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God which keeps covenant. What did we sing in Psalm 105? He shall remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Here's the parent's hope. God's a covenant God who's given a covenant child and he works through the covenant. He is faithful. I want to give an illustration of how faithful God is to his covenant. Why is our child to be baptised soon called Nehemiah? He's named after his uncle, Nehemiah. Uncle Nehemiah was also a covenant child. Remember, baptism does not make you a covenant child. Conception to believing parents makes you a covenant child. And from conception to death, Uncle Nehemiah lived for nine months. But then, sadly, Uncle Nehemiah died. But God's a faithful God and he keeps his covenant. And the covenant is what? The promise of cleansing in Christ applied. And to the children of covenant parents who die in infancy through God's effectual calling, receive the blood of Christ so that the sin they've inherited from Adam is washed in the blood of the Lamb and then they're received into heaven in the presence of our covenant God. And so nephew Nehemiah can look to uncle Nehemiah and say, God's faithful to his covenant. Which means Uncle Nehemiah is an evangelist. And he says to Nehemiah, he says to Gabriel and Lauren, he says to you and he says to me, God's faithful. God's faithful. And nephew Nehemiah this morning, by being baptised and receiving the covenant promises, though nephew Nehemiah cannot talk, he's preaching to us all loud and clear. I'm being baptised because God is a faithful covenant keeping God. Let us hear the two evangelists speak today. Let us hear the gospel of Jesus Christ through the covenant-keeping God. And trusting in that covenant, nephew Nehemiah will one day meet Uncle Nehemiah. And all of our children, God is faithful. Believe in your covenant God in the name of Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful that baptism is a font of promise and pardon. 
that in this sign and seal the grace of Christ is offered, is effectual by the Spirit and received through faith. Bless us all with a faith and understanding of this sacrament. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let us praise our God in Psalm 105. 